This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes and Dave. We had a boat to go into another lockdown, mate, so prepare for regular updates about the state of your hair. <laughs> I was actually kicking myself that I never got an appointment in with the with the barbers before before I come in because today's the last day and there's gonna be no chance getting one today. It's gonna to be like Christmas Eve or something, isn't it? So yeah, it looks like we're um ruffling down again, you know, batting down the hatches and it's gonna be a case of uh, going long again, back to the uh, early in the year, but yeah, I don't I don't mind. It's only uh, you and the thousands of people who watch this show on YouTube will see it. So, <laughs> yeah, and no, I like I got in the other day, so uh, I'm I'm probably going to be covered for the four week period. Mm-hmm. Um, those that are living, those that are listening outside of the of the UK, I know there's quite a few. I think we've got a few listeners on Australia and places like that. Um, you're probably lucky compared to the UK, the way the UK has handled this crisis. Um, but we'll move away from that anyway and we'll move back to football. Just on that really quickly, I watched, um, I think it was, was it Locomotive Moscow or someone to that effect? I feel really bad for not remembering. But I um, watched them against Atletico Madrid yesterday on, in the Champions League and there was officially 8,000 in attendance. But it, either, one, there was a lot more unofficially or two, just that 8,000 are really thankful to be in the stadium. Um, it was just brilliant just listening to, like, watching a football match with that that kind of, um, you know, emotion in the stadium again. It, it was such yeah. an eye-opener how much we've missed it. And uh, I was laughing to myself thinking, again, you know, we don't want really to get any political on this show, ball shows, but um, I was thinking, you know, these are kind of returning to some form of normality. And we're just about to go into a second lockdown. It's uh, it's sad, sad times. It is. I mean, I watched Chelsea last week in the Champions League against, I think it was Krasnodar, and they had fans in the ground. Um, Mm. And just hearing the cheers when the goal's winning was great. Mm. Um, I think, funnily enough, one of the games we're going to talk about now, the West Ham game, and obviously we're going to talk about Atlanta. It's been a good week for Liverpool, and we're going to look ahead to Manchester City. But funnily enough, in the in the build up to the West Ham game, I think David Moyes was asked about Virgil Van Dijk and the fact that he'd be missing. And I think Moyes was was more focused on the fact that Liverpool didn't have a crowd in the stadium, being being a bigger advantage for West Ham as mm. opposed to Van Dijk being missing. Mm. So I think that that basically is a testament to um to the current current climate. But yeah, we might as well talk about West Ham first. Um, I think we were pretty accurate with, with the way we painted it. It was just as tough as we expected, even though they they didn't have Antonio. Uh, were you at the game, Dave? Or? Yeah, yeah, I was at the game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I think you summarised it quickly really well. It, it, it did kind of go as we expected. Um, obviously, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough game for Liverpool, but it was one that they definitely edged. Like, I think they were deserving winners, but... You know, West Ham were really organised. Without, in fact, I thought West Ham were really organised without the ball, and were perhaps lacking that little bit of cutting edge with it. Um, I know that's, that's a mixture. That's well, Antonio, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I know we'll. In fact, I don't know. Yeah, I know we're going to come on to Antonio, but um, just 
just quickly on it, I thought Haller was really disappointing. Um, I think he was one of the reasons West Ham weren't much of a threat in the attack. Um, even like, you know, we, we, we've talked so much since Van Dijk's gone out about threat in the air and I thought Antonio would really be a difficult customer for those aerial battles. And Haller on paper, you'd think, would, would put himself about a bit as well. But obviously 11 aerial duels, he lost eight. Um, and he just didn't seem to get himself around the pitch very well. Whether you say that's a game or not, it doesn't really matter. I think when you've got to come in and try and replicate the performance of someone else, and he didn't really do it. But back to Liverpool, yeah, I thought Liverpool come out of a tough game as deserving winners. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Haller there, might as well touch on a little bit. I was actually quite excited to see him in the Premier League, but he, for whatever reason, I'm not sure if it's you know the, the surroundings, the club, the tactics, all that sort of stuff, but he, he hasn't looked anywhere near the player that he painted himself to be in Germany. Mm. Um, like, he, he, even if you're losing aerial duels, you can still put yourself about to the extent that it's it's at least difficult for opposing centre-backs to get clean headers on the ball. And he mm. weren't even really doing that. So I think I think Liverpool kind of got away with one there, coming mm. up against a striker who... I don't know, the way, the way he played, it was a bit like... Um, he, like he was feeling sorry for himself a little bit, and mm. you just can't really do that. You need to put yourself about. Michael Antonio was the total opposite. Um, you know, just running as a channel, relentless with the way he works. Um, but the expected goals on the day, anyway. Liverpool posted one point eight xg. West Ham posted zero point five. Um, and if you look at the shot count, West Ham seems to have this ability at the minute to, to no matter who they face. They make it difficult for them to get shots away. Liverpool only took eight shots on the day. Um and considering, you know, that's at Anfield, it's it's quite a low figure for Liverpool that West Ham kind of sacrificed their own attack in the process and shot only four times. So it was quite a in, in terms of the shot counts at least at both ends of the field, it was quite a quiet game compared to the what we might normally see at Anfield. Like I think Liverpool this season According to our usual provider, Statsbomb, are averaging 17 shots per match. So to take eight against West Ham, you know, I think I do think we painted them before the game, didn't we? As as the type of team that are just well drilled, well organised, difficult to to break down, really. Mm. Yeah, well, I actually think you know, and especially the first half, it did feel like Liverpool were. Okay, in the kind of first two thirds, but just couldn't seem to get it going in the attacking third. And I do think a lot of that comes down to to how West Ham played and how good they were without the ball. Um, I have to admit, I think as the game went on, they definitely Liverpool definitely started to find the stride. Um, so I've got my dog there. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, no, I think that Liverpool definitely did find the stride and were. You know, as I said, I, I do think they were deserving winners, even though West Ham made them work for it. Yeah, I think a big issue in this game, and it was the same the week before against Sheffield United, Liverpool keep conceding first, and we've spoken about this in the past. It's not a good thing. It's it, it, it has more of an impact on the match than probably many people would expect, to be honest. Mm. Um, so Liverpool have played seven, I think it's seven Premier League games so far, and we've conceded first in four of them. Um, and obviously the last two that we've conceded first in have been against well-drilled back five systems. So 
you, you are up against it. Um, I think I think obviously gonna, we're going to touch on the Atlanta game and, and Jota. But Jota mentioned in his post-match against Atlanta um, that the first goal that he scored was his favourite. And one of the reasons it was his favourite was because Liverpool then take the lead. And he said, we can, we can then manage the game our way. Um, and I thought that was like an interesting little little note for him to say, because I think Liverpool last season were the masters of doing that. Really, they, you know, they just dominate match scenarios, take the lead, probably score a second, and then almost just kill the game without using using up too much energy. So I think you know, despite not having Antonio on the pitch, which I do think um, is one of the reasons. Like I said before the game, that West Ham were going to challenge Liverpool's ability to. Not only break down a good defensive team, but manage counter attacks at the same time. Once I saw Antonio wasn't playing, I thought Liverpool were going to have to still break down a team, but without the managing counter attacks, I didn't think that had materialised much. But even despite that, Liverpool conceded first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is true because it takes energy to chase a game, doesn't it? And you have to start. Suddenly, the space disappears because a lot of sides, when they've took that lead, just want to sit on that lead and see if they can see the game out. It, it very rarely happens. Um, you know, it's probably better to try and double up your lead, but it's easier said than done. Um, but yeah, and I, I think I think that is really key. I mean, there's another way to look at it. Of course, you, you can get, you can really focus on the positives and look at it as the the character to come back. You know, there's a lot of teams out there whose record when going behind isn't good. Um, because it's a it's a, it's a big psychological blow, isn't it? Because suddenly you know you've got to score not one but two goals if you want to win the game, and that's provided that you only concede the one. But um, what you will say about this Liverpool side is they never seem to let those psychological blows kind of impact, you know, how they perform. You know, it, it doesn't seem to completely obliterate the game plan, which you know, you probably actually goes back to to Klopp and it, it, how we. Um, how he structures the games for Liverpool because I think a lot of teams go into games with a game plan and they don't really have that plan B if it doesn't go as it was expected to go, aka, you know, a goal is conceded. But I mean, it, it, it's every home game Liverpool so far they've conceded first, haven't they? Uh, I didn't even realise that that's the case. I'll have a little look now. Yeah, so we've got Leeds. United. Leeds, no, I think we scored first against Leeds and then they equalised. Right, quite okay. Um, right, okay. Did they take Arsenal. the lead maybe then? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. Against Arsenal, they did score first in that game, yeah. So it's certainly three out of the, out of the four. So three of the last three anyway. Um, yeah. Which, you know, although it doesn't look good on paper, it's definitely something Liverpool need to fix for the reasons we've just said about wanting to almost get the results in the bag as quick as possible and kind of see the game out then in third gear. Um, you know, you've, you've probably got to give a nod to the to the, the, the character of being able to overcome adversity, I guess. One of the reasons that we conceded first um, and one of the reasons that we keep having to deal with this problem, I actually tweeted about this during the game, but Liverpool have, um, Liverpool have annoyingly conceded too many goals from shots on target, basically. So we've faced in the Premier League this season twenty eight shots on target. Only fourteen of them have been saved. Um, that's a fifty percent save percentage. Last season, Liverpool's save percentage was I think seventy point one. Um, 
and I think the worst in the league was Kepa with a save percentage of about 54%. So Liverpool's caught an average of um, 50%. Will will increase, will get better uh, with, with more shots on Tiger face and all that sort of stuff. But I think what I was getting at when I tweeted it, Sometimes when when with this start like that, you'd probably look at the goalkeepers then and and say like you know what what are you playing at? We're suffering from from poor goalkeeping, poor shot stopping. But I think more what I was getting at was just that this is this is quite unsustainable, and it feels like Liverpool are just maybe it's me as a fan, but I like to think I'm able to separate myself from that sort of thing. It feels like Liverpool have had a really really unlucky start to the season, to be honest. And if you think of certain little moments, like um, I think it was Sheffield United that got the penalty with the ball being on the very, very edge of the box, um, which I felt was quite harsh. And even the, the foul in the process wasn't really much of a foul from Fabinho. If you think of the Pickford moments, um, the Van Dijk injury, the offside goal in the derby would, you know, with Mane getting ruled offside, even though it was 50-50 almost. Aston Villa, the, the deflected goals. Um, trying to think of other things. I mean, it was. It, it's just, it's been one of them seasons really so far where I, I just think Liverpool have suffered from, from more bad luck than, than what is normal. And I, I just feel like the shots on target numbers kind of epitomised that a little bit. And um, it's just something that I think gradually... It cannot continue really, and it and it will turn. Yeah, I mean, I I also think it will level out. What I will say was, it did feel a lot like last season. Liverpool should have conceded more goals than what they did. You know, we we I think we might have covered it. I remember uh, Dan Kenny for people who are on Twitter would probably follow. Uh, you know, he tweets a lot about Liverpool. He he made a bit of a song and dance about it as well in terms of the amount of big chances people were missing against Liverpool opponents. Now, a lot of that, I think, does come down to think variables that can't really be captured in numbers, you know, like good defensive pressure and things. But that being said, I do still think there was an element of luck. So maybe we were just seeing the kind of flip reverse of that. Um, um, Obviously, another thing it's probably worth pointing out is if you look at Liverpool in the Champions League, you know, they still haven't conceded a goal. Um, and, and they may be the only team who, have, who haven't now actually um, I'll have to double check that maybe someone can look that up but I think they're the only team left in the competition who haven't conceded, conceded a goal against some decent attacking side so um, I guess the point I'm getting at is yeah it seems that they conceding a lot in the league but I expect that to mellow out and if you actually look in the Champions League you are almost seeing maybe what's to come in terms of that the goal's Slowing down in terms of what's being conceded, so it's one to yeah. watch. Yeah, no, I do agree. I think you know, a few of the responses that I had on Twitter, I did kind of say like the, the luck side of things, the fortune side of things have kind of fancied Liverpool for, for a while, to be honest. Whether Liverpool have been doing things under the radar to influence that remains to be seen. Um. You know, obviously we've got a top quality keeper usually who plays um we've had Virgil van Dijk who I think just his presence kind of puts opponents off a little bit. Liverpool have been able to get players around shot takers, which puts them off a little bit, I suppose. Um 
they can be it can come down to just forcing every opponent every opposing player who's taking a shot onto his weaker foot, maybe. Just stuff like that that can influence shots not being put away against you. But it just feels like at the start of this season, particularly in the Premier League, Liverpool are getting really punished for for tiny things like uh, you know, against Leeds, for example, that's another example in the first game of the season. We conceded three from three shots on target, I think. Every shot on target that Leeds had found a net. Um, and these are just things that don't usually happen. So, I mean, despite this, Liverpool is still top of the table. And uh, I think we've we've accumulated 16 points from a possible 21 so far. Um, so, I suppose it, it bodes... It bodes well in a way because we're still finding ways, still finding solutions to solve problems in the match, even if we go a goal behind. You know what? Whatever happens on the day, um, it's just something that I felt like, felt like I needed to point out because uh, rather than that stat being a goalkeeping thing, which it is to an extent, it it does feel like it, it sums up Liverpool's fortune at the minute. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, we can we, we can move on. Anyway, to to Atalanta because this was a much happier game. <laughs> yeah, even much though uh, easier watch. Yeah, even though we got three points in both matches. So, are you surprised if I how this went? Because we we predicted goals. I certainly didn't expect Liverpool to get every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. but I thought Liverpool were outstanding. To be honest. Yeah, and that's what it boils down to. To be honest, I think uh, I think Liverpool were just outstanding. You know, when you're the really top top side, sometimes it just does all. You know, it, it all clicks, all the moving parts come together, and you just become this kind of unstoppable unit. And I just think that's what they were last night. Um, I think they were just so ruthless in attack that it just it, it literally blew Atalanta away. Um, I mean, what, I know you got, you'll touch on the, the numbers shortly, won't you? But I'm just having a quick look at Liverpool. Liverpool's XG on the night was 2.9. That's correct, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I just think if you if you side like Liverpool, who, you know, accumulates an XG like that with the players they've got in attack, then you can quite easily go and score, you know, four or five goals in one game. And that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, no, that's it. And I think, obviously, we, we also accumulated... 15 shots against Atalanta's nine. Um, But it was one of them games where, strangely, virtually every shot seemed to hit the target. To be honest, Liverpool had 15 shots, but 12 of them hit the target. Mm. Atalanta had nine. Six of them hit the target. So um, Can I just say on that, Josh? Sorry, really quickly. I had a look this morning as well. Atalanta had nine shots, but six come after Liverpool winning 5-0. So it's oh, kind okay. of like, yeah. So it's okay. it's like it's probably just a little bit of boosting their numbers in the in, when when the game's finished, pretty much. Yeah, but I think yeah, I just think Liverpool turned up. Like I, I think a few weeks ago when I mentioned when we were speaking about the Merseyside derby, the preview and that, I, I've said I said that like when Liverpool know that they're in for a game against a proper good team. Liverpool really, really turn up usually because they they, they kind of embrace the challenge, um, and it, it felt like one of them games where Liverpool were well aware how good this Atlanta team were, um, stepped up to the challenge, and as a result of the the level that got stepped up to, Atlanta just looked 
average really i mean we painted them out to be a good attacking side i think they showed themselves to be quite decent on the attacking side but they did come across like quite an average european side but they're not they, they are a good team and i think liverpool just kind of blew them away i think another thing in the past that i've spoke about maybe even with dating back to the christian days was when um i think when liverpool faced these european teams i think liverpool's physical level almost just just blows them away like atlanta's defensive line in particular just looked so much slower than liverpool's front line which is a normal thing but all over the park i think when liverpool is just they're just on this physical level that i think few few teams in europe can match especially given what they are used to week to week like if you watch Syria, i don't watch it that often but when i have it does seem to just be generally the tempo's a lot slower hence why you know aging players who are getting on at the back end of the careers tend to move to italy and and he can get another few years out of the top five leagues because it's it's, it's a slower league so i just think liverpool's physical level um does a lot for them in europe mm, yeah yeah i'd agree um yeah you only have to look at some of the moves that's happened to syria over the last what 18 months you think of like christian ericsson i think victor moses is over there now um ashley, ashley young. young yeah you know the, it's players who who definitely looked kind of maybe that's a little bit harsh on ericsson i don't even think he's 30 yet but he, he you know obviously he was struggling to play for spares and but you're looking at players who definitely seem finished at this level who are going on to play for not only city R sides but you know top city R sides you know like your inters and things um so i agree yeah you, you, you could even put and obviously he's nowhere near finished but you could even put cristiano ronaldo in that bracket to an extent mm-hmm. i mean he's i'm not sure how old he is now 35 something like that um but it's, it's no coincidence that the final few years of his career will be spent in syria as opposed to england or germany or or spain i've just thought of another really good example probably the best you'd get uh ibrahimovic i think about 38 39 isn't he and he's yeah, he's scored he's about 16 goals since he's gone back to AC milan yeah this is just insane so um but yeah just just back to the original points i agree um one thing we did caveat it with although i think just because of how good liverpool were this might seem a little bit unfair to bring this one up but we did caveat saying that there is maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome with Atalanta at times, isn't there? Against, you know, the top, top teams. And I don't know if maybe that played a part, but it's really hard to say because, as I said, it's always the case with Liverpool that you can't put in these performances every week because I just don't think it's sustainable. But when it all does come together like it did last night, um, I just don't think teams can stop it. You know, it, it can't be stopped. So I don't really think you can blame much of what Atalanta did. Yeah, it is one of those. It was one of those games, to be honest, where it does kind of reaffirm just how good Liverpool are. Although it can kind of get lost a little bit at times with certain vulnerable results or you know shaky moments or whatever. I think this kind of performance does just remind everybody that this is still Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Yes, we've lost a central defender, but we've got virtually everybody else still Thiago to come back in, and. It's just a, a a really top top football inside. I mean, there's no other way around it really. Um. So yeah, you touched on the expected goals there. Liverpool posted two point nine xg, which is fairly high to be honest. Um. And then when you've got the likes of Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah putting the ball in the net, 
taking those shots, they're probably going to finish at a higher rate than than um, I don't know Mark Noble is. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, we'd finish at a high level anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Atalanta posted bang on, bang on one expected goals. So, uh, to be honest, I think they should have had at least one, shouldn't they? I mean, yeah, I was about to say on another on another night, they do probably score one, don't they? Yeah, on a Premier League day, considering Liverpool's looking the Premier League at the minute, that match probably ends five two. Mm. Um, but I think I think we were we we were fairly justified in our predictions that it was going to be. A match that featured goals. I did think mm. that that they'd get one or two, but he, he, to be honest, there's a pass a shot where he drags it back past Gomez, who slides beyond the ball, and he hits the crossbar or the post, and it somehow doesn't go in the net. I don't know how that didn't find the net. To be honest, um, mm. that was that was some effort. Yeah, it was. Um, he come alive but, a little bit, didn't he? In the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he got much much service at the start, to be honest. But he was a mm. he, he was a handful of a player. Um, and Liverpool's front three, obviously, I've just mentioned them there. The front three took eleven shots, uh, and every one hit the target. Every shot hit the target. I don't think that's a usual thing, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I've just said the front three took eleven shots. The front three, Dave, but. Not including Roberto Firmino, it was Diego Jota who started. Mm. This is obviously the big talking point. This is probably what people want us to get to. Mm. He was a, uh, he was, he was outstanding. He was a, uh, he was incredible to be honest. Scored a hat trick, and even his all round game was just was just faultless. I thought. Yeah, I agree. You know, when when we talked about him in what April about the potential of Liverpool's sign, and uh, we were talking about being on the left. But the, the beauty is he's, he's so versatile. Obviously, he comes in in the, in the brackets number nine role last night. And I just thought he played it really well. You know, he, he seemed to drop off the line well. He was really aggressive. Um, I thought his, his movements, you know, off the shoulder of the defender was brilliant. You know, the way he seemed to body faint in to get himself on side, but almost yeah, use yeah. it as a spring to get then get a, a run on the defender. I just thought he looked fantastic. He kind of, he kind of seemed to bring everything that Firmino brings to the game, but then had that clinical edge that I think Firmino was lacked for a little while. It was a really good performance. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. When when we did sign him, I, I have always viewed him as a, a wide forward, to be honest. And when Klopp named the team, I was a bit like, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this works because you've got a front three there, all of whom. And inclined to almost run away from the ball as opposed to coming towards it. And with that being the case, that, that can sometimes result in structural issues because the midfield is completely separate to the forward line and you've got no one linking the play on the edge of the final third and all that sort of stuff. So Joss ended up playing through the middle predominantly. Um but his the, the way in which he did do what the Firmino, what Firmino's usual things, as in you know, receiving into midfield, offering like a bit of glue of sorts, um, obviously leading a bit of, leading the press and not maybe taking as many risks on the ball with his passing as Mane and Salah do. I just thought he was brilliant. He, he really did play it like he's been playing it for years. He played it like it wasn't a particularly hard role to, to execute, even though I think it is. Mm. You know, you've got, I think to, 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 to perform that role, you've got to have really good 
um, you know, 360 awareness of, of what's going on around you because you, you've received the ball between the lines and it, it, it is tricky. And I was really impressed by, by how he was able to, to do much of what Firmino usually does while also bagging a hat-trick and posing a threat in behind when the opportunities presented what were presented to. Mm. Uh, so, to be honest, he is becoming a bit of a problem. Uh, it's a good problem, but he's asking questions now of Klopp, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's, it's absolutely bonkers to think that he uh, he wasn't playing for Wolves at the start of the season. He couldn't get in the team. You know, Nuno wasn't, wasn't playing him there because I think he's always been a talent. I thought this was pretty phenomenal, Josh. Uh, I, I, you may have seen it because it was actually something doing the rounds as opposed to something I found, but uh, I'll share it now just in case you, you haven't you haven't seen it yet. But um, yeah, since the start of last season, Diego Jossers, um are you ready for this? On, <laughs> he's, had, uh, he's had six, 68 shots with his left foot. And sixty-six shots with his right foot, um, <laughs> which you know it's basically completely even almost. But bear in mind, he's had uh, four more shots with his left, and he's traditionally a right-footed player, which yeah, is that's, that's quite insane. I mean, we we did flag that he was two-footed mm-hmm. um, yesterday. Two of his goals were scored with his left foot, one with his right. Um, Funnily enough, previously before that, the goals he scored against Sheffield United and Arsenal and all the goals before yesterday, to be honest, he'd scored with his right foot for Liverpool. So he is just mixing it up and he, he is that kind of um, almost ambidextrous player, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another real perk if you're playing through the middle as a kind of, you know, 360 awareness Firmino type player. If you can go left, you can go right, you can use both feet. It's gonna really benefit you, but uh, he is looking outstanding. Um, he's averaging a goal. I think he's played about five hundred minutes so far for Liverpool in Champions League, Premier League, and Carabao Cup, and he's averaging a goal—not a goal or an assist, a goal—every seventy-one minutes. Um, I'm looking at him from my fantasy team. <laughs> uh, he's just looking like a, a real player he's making a quicker impact than I thought he would have made um, yeah I don't really know what more to add on he's just he's really impressive he's almost um, he's kind of the, the, the profile and he's come, becoming the player that everybody expected Timo Werner to be and the reason why Liverpool wanted to sign Timo Werner you know Joss has basically become that person, I think he's he's filled that void. Obviously, it's early yeah. days. Don't want to put too much pressure on. Of course, you know we're only in November, but just from what we've seen so far, it's a uh, you know it, it kind of feels like Liverpool got a good deal there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, st- I still think Timo Werner is brilliant, but um, there's certain aspects of of the Jota deal that I just I think we have got one up really almost. Um, the fact that he's he's a lot more two footed than Werner. The fact that Liverpool are only playing. I think it's something like four million in in this first initial year for him. Um, I think he's a year younger, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but he's just looking like a top player. I think I think the the way the reason he started this game, I I personally thought, I don't actually think it was due to form. I think he was more in, he was more starting this game for me because a Atalanta used a bit of a man marking system, um, so if you've got a fluid front three. 
who are just kind of all over the place, you're going to cause them more problems than if everyone's a bit more fixed than normal. And B, um, obviously their defensive line was not very fast and they, they are inclined to keep a fairly high line without really pressing the ball. So you're getting space in behind. Josh is going to be more of an issue for Atlanta attacking that space in behind than Firmino would be. So I felt like, you know, the front three that was selected for this game but was selected for Atlanta really to cause Atlanta problems, which I don't think will always be the case. But just because of how well he played and how well he did the Firmino stuff as well, he, he is he is posing a problem for for Klopp in terms of his, the, the selection of his eleven ahead of the Man City game, which which we will get to. Mm. Um, unless you have anything more to add on Jota, Dave, I think another little interesting stat was that it's his his second goal. I think it was when he takes it down from the sky with his left foot and volleys it in with his right. Um, which I thought was his best goal on the day. That was assisted by Joe Gomez. Um, Gomez's first assist since 2017-18 against, funny enough, Evan. Um, I don't remember what was it. I don't remember it, but I'm assuming he was playing fullback, um, and s- something will have happened. But you know, usually I wonder. So. I wonder if it was that one uh, Salah where Salah comes up against Martina. It might have been and. He kind of like, yeah, maybe. yeah, it might have been that one. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. Um, but I think Gomez is out of the, out of the whole 11, including Alisson, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think Gomez is the least inclined to play the last pass and to, to get to get an assist. So I think it's maybe summing up how he's stepping up a little bit, playing a bit more, playing a few more long passes in Van Dijk's absence and all that sort of stuff. But I think it was a top performance, one of Liverpool's best performances of the season. 5-0 over the top attacking side. Another clean sheet. And it takes us in good form to probably the biggest game of the season so far. I think you can, you can probably say against Manchester City. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. General thoughts ahead of the ahead of the fixture, Dave. Feels a little bit different this one this year, you know. Um, yeah, because I think there's all different things impacting it, but it felt like over the last two seasons, the title could have maybe been won and lost. Obviously, it didn't work out like that last season, but it felt like it going into the game. It felt like the, the title could very much be decided over these two fixtures, whereas this year, it just feels like there's going to be more twists and turns, you know, more slip-ups, unexpected slip-ups because of how the, the, the league is and, you know, the circumstances that we're in with the games thick and fast. So... It's strange, but um, yeah, it does. It feels very bizarre. You know, neither team feels as invincible as I think they did in previous times. And I'd actually argue City more so than Liverpool. They just, yeah, I think they've just lost the fear factor a little bit, maybe for lesser teams at least. Um, so yeah, it feels like a strange one, this. Yeah, it does. I think both, both teams in the past two years or so have just had so much control over the pitch um, both teams leave so little to to the elements of chance and stuff like that that it was just kind of two complete teams coming up against each other with you know even the weaknesses of both teams you, for other sides in the division they wouldn't be weaknesses you know it's, it's that kind of stuff um, but this season I think both teams are a little bit more fragile than normal 
I actually looked at City's numbers. I'm sure you've seen them on the agenda, Dave, but they, um, they're not as good as I thought they were going to be, to be honest. I mean, Guardiola's teams have just historically posted brilliant performance numbers um, to the extent that they just deserve to win virtually every match. Mm. And it's why they... That's why they win leagues because when you're posting such good performance numbers, you might get a penalty given against you, you might suffer from bad luck, you might suffer from an injury, you might suffer from a bad refereeing decision. But when your performance numbers are that good, you're kind of um, insuring yourself against any randomness in a game by just performing so well. But you know, so far this season, expected goals per 90, excluding penalties. City is seventh, mm. um, which is quite surprising. Liverpool, from perspective, a top. Um, I'll get up the rest of that in a sec. Um, City is second for shots per ninety. Liverpool, as I said before, are averaging seventeen. City, I think, are averaging about fifteen point four or something like that. It might have been. But the reason that the seventh for XG, despite being second for shots, is because. The shots that they're creating, they're just not that good. Um, so you can you can kind of put a number on that using expected goals per shot, and their expected goals per shot is is quite bad to be honest, which suggests that the average shot that they're generating, it's maybe not from such a clear cut location, it's not a tap in as it has been in the past. Um, obviously they they haven't really had any strikers for a few games. They've lost David Silva and have replaced them with Phil Foden and Ferran Torres, who good players, but they're not David Silva. Not yet, at least. Um, so, yeah, I mean, have you got any thoughts on those numbers, David? I thought it was quite interesting, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's a, a few contrib- contributing factors. One of which, as you said, is the fact they haven't really had a striker and their system does play with a forward. You know, it needs a, a proper forward in there. They've tried to adapt it a little bit, but I don't think it's always worked. You know, bringing in the likes of Sterling in that position. Um, you know, because it's not just about scoring goals. I think it's just about the movements that these players make, you know, because we're talking about the best of the best. You know, you think like Aguero and Jesus to an extent as well. You know, they kind of create openings for others and, you know, windows for passes to be made into the penalty area and get a little bit closer to goal. And without that, that's been the issue. You know, you touched on the um, decrease in XG per shot compared to last season. Um, I looked into this about a week week ago and yeah, the, the XG per shot average has dropped, but the um the average distance from where the shooting has increased by about maybe three meters or so, which might not sound a lot, but it, it, it does impact the quality of shots. Obviously the, the closer you are to goal, the normally the better your chances are. And if you're t- shooting from further away, then chances are that you're you're not going to convert as many and they're not going to, going to be a bit of lesser quality and that's what's happening so far. Um, you know, that being said, you know, more of a basic look beyond just, the, you know, the, the performance in the case if we just look at results, it does seem that they've started to kind of hit a little bit of form. Now, I'm having a look at the, I mean, this is all competitions, of course, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, they've, they're undefeated in eight games since that kind of massacre, you know, went on to Leicester. And they've drew two of them. Um, but beyond that, they are getting back to kind of winning ways. And I don't, maybe they're going to start taking the leaf out of Liverpool's book and, and grinding out victories as opposed to just trying to completely dominate and 
you know, put four or five goals past teams, just, you know, maybe slow it down a little bit and just get get the get the victories and get the wins. Yeah, I mean, they've kept three clean sheets in a row now, including the Champions League games, but I don't think Marseille and Olympiacos really laid much of a glove on them. Marseille didn't actually have a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at that now. Marseille's expected goals on the day was not. So let's let's have a look at this I'm gonna say. So shots. Marseille had well, there must be an error there because Marseille had two shots. So unless they were from the halfway line or something. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't be posting the next year's zero. So that's probably a bit of a weird thing that stats don't need to have a look at. But just a little bit of perspective on the XG per shot thing. So top of the league at the minute for XG per shot. Uh, are Leicester and Spurs. Um, according to that metric, their, their average shot has about a 14% chance of finding the net. Then you've got Liverpool and Everton in third, in joint third um, with 0.13, so that's a 13% chance of Liverpool and Everton's average shot finding the net. Cities is an 8% chance of finding the net. Now, there doesn't seem to be much in that, really, when you think about it. You know, not that much difference between 8% chance and a 13% chance, but in football, in terms of the years, that's quite that's quite a big jump. Um, if you picture a, a, a one shot that's got, that gets an XG value of about 13% compared to another shot that gets an XG value of about 8%, the 13% chance will be considerably more open than... Um, than the 8% chance one. And just for a little bit more perspective, because Liverpool fans, I'm sure, will want to hear this. The worst in the league, out on their own, Manchester United. Um, XG per shot for them is 0.06. They're the only team with 0.06. So the average shot that United generates has a 6% chance of finding the net. Over the years, they've had a, a tendency to just shoot from anywhere, really, haven't they? So... That's probably where that's stemming from. Um, but yeah, I think for Liverpool's defence, I suppose it bodes well a little bit that City aren't generating absolute tappings like they were before. But obviously, Gabriel Jesus played last night. We're recording this on the Wednesday. He scored as well. Um, he's probably going to play in it, isn't he, Dave? Jeffen? Um Probably, yeah. You know, I think he's probably inclined to maybe start with him um, and then, you know, maybe give him an hour and see where he is as opposed to having him on the bench, you know, especially with him playing and scoring last night. Last night. It just makes sense. And as I said, having that forward on the pitch is quite important for their, their system. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about City's results there. I, I look at the results, I look at the performance numbers that they were posting with those results. Um. In most games, they are doing enough to win, probably. They are doing enough to get three points. It's just that they're not doing as much as we used to seeing them do. Um, like against the Olympiacos, Dave, mm. that's the first game all season, um, including, oh no, it's not, ex- excluding the Carabao Cup. So that's, that's the first game all season in the Premier League and the Champions League that they've posted an XG of two or more. They posted mm. bang on two against Olympiacos. And before that, their previous highest was 1.9, um, 1.5, 1.8, 1.4. And I just think in previous seasons, City were kind of uh, 
just putting the result into more certainty by posting even higher figures than that. Um, so it does look like that attack's taking a little bit of a hit lately. But um, what I will say to that though, do you remember when um, we kind of said though that they had a they had a, a way of can um, how can I word this almost inflating the the because. Well, for those who don't know, City, no matter what Liverpool do, always seem to be finished top, don't they, in terms of XG rankings? Um, mm. and we always can't, we come to the conclusion, I think, if I remember correctly, that's because they just seem to obliterate teams and keep going and going and going and really, you know, pad out their numbers where this Liverpool are a little bit more smart and how they play, you know, they get the results in the bag and then knock it down to maybe third gear. I just wonder if, could there be an element of City doing that? over these last kind of few weeks yeah it's it's possible especially given the current times the the, the lack of pre-season um, the fact that Guardiola's had De Bruyne suffering from a little bit of burnout Aguero was rushed back a little bit Jesus has mm. been injured I think Sterling's been the only real nailed starter who's been available all season so far Um, so yeah it could be like there could be something in that mm. But ahead of the game, I've just mentioned Jesus there. Ahead of the game, I think there's a few question marks, marks attached to a few players. So, you know, do do you start Matip in this game? He was on the bench against Atlanta. And he does have this thing whereby he can come in every now and then. Act like he's never been out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you play Phillips? Do you play Jesus? Thiago even? And obviously probably the biggest question, do, do you start Jota? The Firmino on the bench, despite this being Manchester City, you know Liverpool's pressing will have Liverpool's pressing and defensive organisation will have to be spot on. You know what you do with you, Dave? It's tough. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. I'd be inclined to go with Jota in that game. Um, I just think he's he's proven he can kind of work within the dynamics of how the team play. Uh, you know he knows how the mechanics work, um, but then he's also He's also got his own individual merit as well. You know, he's he's a, he's a threat. It does feel like over the last twelve months, for me, you know, has done the role that he needs to do for the team for everyone around him to benefit. But he has lacked his own. Put it this way, for me, he knows running in on goal one v one. You're not necessarily backing him, are you? I don't mean that to sound too critical, but you're not. Which, with, if, if that opportunity presents itself to Jota, I would be backing him. You know, I'd fancy his chances, and. It could be a lot tighter then. Well, in fact, it's going to be very tight, I think, the game on Sunday. And it could come down to a goal. Um, And if that chance falls to either Jota or Firmino, you probably want Jota to be on the end of it. So I think all that considered, I'd I'd start. I'd start Jota. Um, Yeah, it is tricky. It really is. I mean, ahead of the Atalanta game, (laughs) I was... I think I think the the person I was with, or I, I, I was thinking about tweeting it or something. I remember thinking to myself, Jota could score a hundred goals here, and Firmino will still start against Manchester City away at the Etihad. You know, he just will. But just because of how well he played, and the fact he played a lot like Firmino does in certain moments, while also scoring three, it, it is a, a big um, a big problem that Klopp's going to have to find a solution to. I mean, one of the perks of Jota over Firmino is that he's a lot quicker. Do you look at Manchester City's defence and perceive that defence to be as runnable running backwards 
as Atalanta. You know, that's one for Klopp to answer. I don't think they're particularly fast. I think, obviously, Kyle Walker is. I'm not sure about Ruben Diaz, to be honest. Um, and I think Laporte's just, I suppose, relatively average. So, But I think that, you know, the pace and, and the fact that he'd, he'd be more inclined to finish one chance if he was presented with it, and he's probably in better form. I think they're probably the three main things Jota's got over Firmino um, at the moment. But in terms of what Firmino's got over Jota, I'd say, obviously, he's more experienced in this game in particular. Um, I'd say he's more well-drilled on the defensive side. Obviously, they're both really good pressers, but I'd say Firmino's more... just He's just got the system more naturally ingrained into his game. Um but other than that, I'm, I'm probably struggling to be honest. Maybe he's better in the air. I think he, I think Firmino comes back for set pieces to defend set pieces and stuff like that. Um, but it really is a tricky one. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, one of the things a little bit easier. Uh, I I probably wouldn't rush Thiago back for this game, which might sound a bit bizarre to some, but uh, mm. I know he's fantastic. But I think. He's not necessarily essential for this. And if he's touch and go, I'd start him on the bench because um, I think he, I think he would have been better in that West Ham game, for example. Uh, you know, I think that would have been where Liverpool could have really done with him. Whereas in this game, I feel like they can do fairly well without him. So I think that one's a little bit easy. I'd probably start Thiago on the bench. Um, but yeah, just back to Jota, I'd, I'd, I'd start him personally. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Matup? I don't know. It, it, I, I suppose a word for the reasons that you've just been making the case for Firmino. You know, obviously, he's got that big game experience. He's played in these fixtures before. I thought Phillips was really, really good last week. Um, he was, yeah. And I remember correctly, I could have it wrong, was Phillips brought in for the FA Cup Merseyside derby last year as well? Or is that something... Um... I, I can't remember, to be honest. I just I know he spent some... a few seasons on loan. He spent a mm. bit of time in Germany and stuff. So maybe someone will be able to say in the comments, check that out when it goes live. But um, anyway, yeah, Phillips obviously come in, done really well, man of the match on the day. Um, but I just think Matip's been here before and he's, you know, we, we know he's, he's strong in the air. And yeah, I think he's just a little bit more of a, I guess the term would be what reliable shoulders. I don't know. I'd probably bring Matip in, to be honest, Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'd use massive for this one-off game. To be honest, um, I think it'd be different if Phillips had played well in four consecutive games. But the fact that Phillips isn't registered for the Champions League, and it's been kind of Reese Williams, Phillips, then Reese Williams, then Phillips. You know, f- for the games that we've played or whatever, I think Klopp will be well within his rights to just start massive when no one really bats an eyelid. Um, Thiago, I'd love to see him start the game, but I am inclined to agree. I do think that he he's probably say for example Liverpool are a goal down on the hour mark. He's a great player to bring on, even mm. if Liverpool are a goal up. To be honest, because he's the way he just keeps the ball, the way he's able to kind of instigate a degree of control over the pitch. I think he's just uh, as well as being a ridiculous player to start. He's he's a really useful sub to use as, as a bit of a problem solver in certain moments. Um, I do think Jesus starts and Jota is the big question mark to be honest but the, I mean looking back at his Wolves time he do, he, he was 
kind of like a form player, wasn't he? He'd have these big mad bursts, and he score. He'd score two, then he'd score two again, then he'd score two again, then he'd score one and assist two, and then he'd go missing for a few months at Wolves. Mm. Um, so I don't know if this is just him stepping up at Liverpool or him having one of those bursts. But if he's having a burst, I suppose you've got to use it. Um, I'll be honest, I'm more inclined to think it is a burst. That's and you know I, I, I obviously rate Jota. You know, talked about a month ago about coming to Liverpool and what he could sign. He'd be, but I don't think this is him hitting like Salah Mane numbers now consistently. You might prove me wrong, of course, but I do th- inclined to think he's just in really good form. It's all going in for him at the moment. Um, so take advantage of it while you can, and obviously don't then expect it to happen every week. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit Salah, to be honest. When Salah first came to Liverpool and everything he touched kind of turned into gold and he found a net with every shot, almost. Mm. It does feel a little bit like that with Jota at the minute. It feels like he can't miss. I'm not sure how many shots he's taken for Liverpool so far. I'll try and check that out now while I'm speaking. Mm. But it, it feels like every shot he's having is finding the net. And obviously, as good as that is, it's at the same time um, a bit unsustainable, isn't it? But... At the, at the same time, again, with this being such a crucial game and he's coming off the back of a hat-trick, if you want to use that unsustainable period to just get more goals out of him and that sort of thing, then, mm. you know, I, I suppose you can't really argue with it. You'd, you'd have to start him almost, but yeah. it really is a difficult one. Yeah, to use it to your advantage whilst you can, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, I, don't know, I can't really check it, to be honest. We'll leave it there anyway, so... Well, let's be honest, we're going to be talking about them again over the next few weeks, so we'll, we'll be able to do it then. Yeah, so your verdict then with this match, Dave? Mm, I actually do fancy Liverpool, you know. I know. It's, I mean, the record that the Etihad isn't great, is it? Um, but I just, I don't know, I just think that it's all kind of flowing a little bit better for Liverpool now and they seem to have this extra drive without Van Dijk. I don't know if it's, you know, to prove a point. Um, I feel like I've heard Klopp maybe on us saw something shared which almost said that maybe Klopp said that behind the scenes. Um, don't know how official that is, but yeah, it does feel like Liverpool just have got that extra bit of mo- motivation. Um, so I do actually fancy Liverpool's to to nick this. I'm gonna go two one. Okay, um, it's a way at the Etihad. I might lean towards two on myself, you know. Um, mm. It feels like a difficult one to predict. It feels like it's going to be maybe a bit more conservative than usual. But then at the same time, given just the general mindset of Klopp and Guardiola, maybe both of them will just think, we'll just kind of see a wounded animal and just go for it. Um, and if that happens, I suppose it's going to be a shootout. And, uh it could go anyway when when that sort of thing happens when you've got two mm. quality attacks like this. But yeah, after after seeing Liverpool midweek, the the level that they were at, I'm going to lean towards two one I think as well. But it's it is a difficult one to predict to be honest. What are you so, expecting game wise? Right, not not result. Just what are you expecting as a game? Um, I expect it to be tight or expect it to be free flowing. I. Uh, I can tell you well. I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly expecting it to be tight. No, I am as well. I don't, I don't think it'll be free flowing. I don't think it'll be anything like the, the last time we went there. And oh, I think we lost five 0 after winning the title. Mm. I don't think it'll be anything like that. Um, but then at the same time, like 
would it be inside? Obviously, both that that'd mean both offences are, are assuming the spotlight as opposed to the attacks almost. And I don't think neither manager would want that. I think both managers will want their attacks to be in the game more than normal. Um, I don't know. Here's an interesting one. I spoke. I'm, I'm Manchester City writer over the MEN. Um, I asked him what he thought that what would be happening on Sunday in the game. Like, basically, I bug him every week because I want to. I have some City players in FPL. I want to know if they're going to play or not. Um, but I don't know if this was him getting a feel from Guardiola or maybe just him, you know, giving this two pence. But he was saying that there might be the temptation to have Nathan Aki in at left back because he's a lot better defensively, um, but he just doesn't have that same attacking intent. Um, which I thought was quite quite interesting because if Guardiola did go with that, then you probably assume that he's going to be a little bit more defensive than attack orientated and send a message probably before the game. Yeah, I think he I think he did that against Arsenal. To be honest, mm. um, I think it was to do with our set of system because I think Cancelo played on the opposite side, but it, and, and he was kind of like a defender slash midfielder hybrid type thing in typical Guardiola overthinking fashion. To be honest. Mm. I hope that he overthinks this one. Because <laughs> I don't think it does his players many favours. I think sometimes he's a bit more, he's a bit too deep with it. Um, but it really is difficult to predict. I, I, I feel like if Jota starts and we've got a front three with that speed, I feel like it will maybe go go back to the the early Klopp versus Guardiola, City versus Liverpool days, whereby mm. City have the ball and they're trying to break Liverpool down. And Liverpool are just waiting for the stray pass before counter attacking in at, at great speed. Because I think obviously if you've got Jotter in there over Firmino, you've got mm. three players there who are all lightning, all of whom can rotate positions and so maybe it'll be a bit more of a counter attacking game than we've seen Liverpool play in, in quite a while. But mm. it really is a difficult one to predict at the moment, to be honest. Uh but we'll we'll leave it there anyway, we'll round up. So we'll be back next week to talk about the City game and considering it's in this national break maybe there'll be a Q&A maybe that'll be the week later you know we'll see what happens um, mm. but thanks for tuning in thanks for joining us Dave cheers cheers everyone and we will be back next week hopefully to talk about a Liverpool win see you next week you've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel <laughs>